0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, the podcast that's all about markets and investing. My name's Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com. Today, I'm joined by Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Thank hey, you, man. Andrew. Very happy to be here. Matt, what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're talking about a conference that we went to a bit earlier in the week, Microcap uh, Investing Conference put on by Coffee Microcaps and and Mark Tobin, a guy that organized that. So we've got a kind of a whirlwind episode, I think, just running through maybe up up to a dozen companies. We'll see how we go for time. Uh, Small companies that are growing fast Often,
0: Yeah, Yeah, it was a really great conference. Uh, Thanks very much, Mark, for putting it on. We we loved being there. Uh, It was also really great. We we met a lot of um, investors and People in the industry, I think we both really respect. Uh, it was great to run into Johnny Shapiro from the AFR. Absolutely. Uh, Tony Hanson from EGP, EGP Capital. Yep. Uh, it was really great to see him.
1: Greg Hoffman. Good to meet you, The that, Hoff, dude. Yeah, <laughs> really
0: great to meet you, Greg. Um, yeah. and, and way too many to mention yeah. here, but it, it was a really great event. But as you say, Matt, we have... A lot of stuff to get through Mm -hmm. so we're gonna do a quick fire round on each of them yeah and let's go pretty much in order that the uh, the conference went in order with so what are we gonna kick off with
1: Uh, so let's kick off with Volpara so um, uh, Volpara is a company that provides uh, software for analyzing mammograms and breast density in particular Um, it's been growing exceptionally fast Um, but has also become, I guess on valuation, something of a market darling. So a really interesting presentation um, from from Ralph, uh, the CEO, and uh, a huge opportunity in front of them. So around 7% of US women are currently screened uh, using their technology, uh, for for breast cancer, um, and they're still a very small company, so a lot of opportunity there. Only about six million in recurring revenue, though, and uh, I think the price tag is about fifty times that, about three hundred million dollars market cap. Fifty-three, so according to my calculations. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, it looked really interesting to me. Um, I guess the main question is is valuation.
0: Yeah, it ticked a lot of boxes for me too. Um, Very high percentage of recurring revenue, very big runway, seemingly a pretty big first mover advantage in that space. Very genuine value proposition to their customers as well. Um, There's a litigation drive here as well. You don't want to sort of falsely diagnose anyone with you know this kind of um, thing. So it's it's that's really great. I think there's a huge amount of optionality with AI. Very much a buzzword at the moment. A lot of people talking about it. But one thing we know with AI that it's very good at is image recognition. And so this seems like a perfect candidate for that. Um, so yeah, I was also very interested. man. I did notice that just on the same day that they released, uh, that they were at the conference, they said that they'd in- exceeded their guidance. So uh, annual recurring revenue was up 86%. They said it was only going to be 80, well, only 85. <laughs> and it was actually 7.1% of US women's screen. So you know, so not a, a huge beat. Though. Not a huge beat, <laughs> but, but you nice. know, yeah, sure. a very lofty targets. And they beat that. Um, so very excited, but yeah, as you say, um, 160% gain in the share price so far over the last 12 months makes it a little bit, pricey. yeah,
1: maybe one we'll come back to in, in more detail, I'm sure in the podcast. Yeah. yeah, for
0: sure. Uh, Blackwall was the other one. So Blackwall, uh, these guys probably best known for Whatso, which are these collaborative workspace, uh, Companies think WeWork. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, WeWork was mentioned more than a few times uh, by the by the CEO, and really said that they've done wonders in terms of promoting the whole collaborative workspace scene, doing a lot of marketing for them, which I guess is one way. It's to a put positive it. way to spend one a to huge,
1: well-funded competitor. Yeah.
0: yeah, very much so. Um, they sh- they also do property development, um, but I think their main sort of. Point of difference was that they tried to go outside of CBD locations Mm -hmm. where the economics tend to be a little bit better, they get better yields. Um, I think this is interesting, I I definitely do, but I'm really worried about these kinds of businesses. I I used to be quite familiar with Servcorp, actually the guys who pioneered this kind of space well before anyone heard of WeWork. And what you have here is that you have these pretty high um, fixed costs, and it only takes a very small movement in occupancy, uh, in the rents that you charge, and profit is absolutely crushed so for me you know and there's also there's no barriers to entry here this is just lease arbitrage right you yeah. and i could buy a commercial property fit it out with some desks and, and rent it out should we do it no i'm not gonna say not I'm not, too think, much too
1: much admin too much hassle Enough massive, massive competition <laughs> as yeah, well
0: true. so on one hand you look at it four and a half percent yield pe of 13 very good thematic every it's very sexy right now I would be very interested in this at the bottom of the cycle so yeah. if, if and when a recession comes this thing's gonna get bombed out um, I think that is the time that you buy it
1: yeah so one point that um, was interesting he kind of spoke about why this is happening now people kind of see it as like why people are using these cooperative workspaces um, he made the point which was interesting which was a lot of it was just a shift away from paper so once you move yeah. away from needing paper for everything then you don't need a filing cabinet you don't need a fixed office that you lock up at night suddenly everything's in the cloud and you can do it anywhere which is an interesting angle like a lot of yeah. it had been driven uh, people talk about startup culture but that's an interesting thing that most businesses don't need that space i agree but um he kind of made the point that a lot of businesses still will it's not going to be everyone going and working in these spaces um and so i i kind of found them like it seems to be quite efficiently run they have a good knowledge of the industry the multiple is light years away from we work like every other competitor we work has we works on its own little bubble it, um, that's a whole other topic for another yeah day, yeah exactly it? Um, for me, though, I think the question I'd be asking is, you know, what will happen during the GFC? Same point you raised, um, because they're so sensitive to occupancy, and I imagine these are the first ones to go. Like the the little startup that's not doing too well shuts up shop um, during yeah. the GFC. Yeah. Um, suddenly, it's not so appealing. So I imagine that's like the first the first rung of of. Tightening.
0: Having said, we've got to move on, but having yeah. said that, what's interesting is well-funded, well-capitalized businesses in this space, I think for the long-term investor, you know, big economic wipeout. It's actually great for them because they're not beholden to the bank. They yeah. All of a sudden, they can pick up a bunch of properties super, super cheap. Um, and we've seen this with Servcorp in the past as well. So, uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a pass for me at the moment.
1: Which brings us to SkyFi, so ticket code uh, SKF. So this is a super uh, interesting company to me. Um, I'd looked at it before, actually, a couple of times. So the kind of core product was using, providing free Wi-Fi to shopping malls and restaurants and everything else.
0: Airports, Airports are the big so one. Yeah. yeah,
1: so you log into that free Wi-Fi and they track you. <laughs> There's a, there is a right, trade-off where do that. I sign up? You normally click that button, accept. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of uh, software and, and service that they provide. So it is quite useful to a, uh, a retailer or anyone Apprentice store to have that data on their customers. So normally you could do it just from camera or something else, but this you have an actual device. You can probably pull a lot of other data off that device mm-hmm. um, and kind of track them all the way through to point of sale. So they've integrated a lot more stuff over the last few years. I kind of thought of starting Wi-Fi as a bit, you know, um, you know how far has that got to go? But they've yeah. started adding more and more. Um, points to their software suite so connecting with all of the back end systems of the of the retailer, or the the shop owner, point of sales point of sales systems um, engagement and marketing tools so bringing a lot of data sources which is important Um, and you can do kind they showed some cool stuff with like heat maps and showing how a customer moves where the problem points are
0: data is their product right data is their
1: product yeah. yeah Um, And it's very
0: valuable to stadiums and airports and that, where are people going, where are they shopping, what are they doing, what are their habits, what messaging can we send them, it's super, super valuable stuff.
1: Um, and they're in a similar space to another company I'll be talking about in a few weeks and releasing a write-up on, uh, which I'm super interested in. So yes. that's always interesting to talk to a competitor. I think a few couple of points, so uh, I was going to ask this question of them and someone else beat me to it, which is, what does 5G do to your business? So when people don't need to 100%. use a Wi-Fi in stores because your um, your 5G coverage is so strong, you don't. why would you bother logging on to Wi-Fi? I think that's um, an important thing. They gave some answer They're kind of branching out from being you know it's in their name SkyFi they're moving away from just Wi-Fi but that's something to consider for me
0: I'm the same and again it's always a danger as an investor to put your own experience and habits you know and and expand that out to everyone else but I just never do that free Wi-Fi because I I get everything I need on on, and I'm on 4G right I've never found and plus you know, there's privacy concerns and the rest of it. Look, um, yeah, interesting, uh, I'll give I'll give listeners some numbers. Uh, it's on about six times sales, but revenue was nearly doubled uh, last year. Uh, high levels of recurring revenue, 38% of revenue is offshore. They are uh, operating profit positive, um, which is really nice. Another nice thing as well, uh, uh, Thorny Investments, a lot of investors will know, they have a, a pretty big chunk in that, which is, um, you know, it, it's a heuristic, but it's yeah. it's, it's you know the, you know those guys tend to look at it pretty closely. But I'm with you, man. I, I think uh, it looks very interesting, uh, but needs to do a lot more work on that. Here's another one. So we've sort of talked about there's some software companies <laughs> um, and then a bit of property, but Kangaroo Island Plantation. Not the
1: sexiest company, but but different to the. Couple but it of was those. a great presentation. Yeah, it was really good.
0: Um, the, the, the ticket code is KPT. And the uh, CEO started off with a picture of Stephen Bradbury. <laughs> and I was like, where is this going? And it was basically saying that, look, in Australia, listed uh, plantation companies don't have, you know, think Timbercorp, Corp, uh, think Quintus. Yeah. I uh, think these companies that have all basically gone belly up and just – torched a whole bunch of shareholder capital along the way. And he's got to say, we're the Stephen Bradbury, we're the ones still standing.
1: I love that, because he just addressed it right up front. Yeah. Like it's the the main thing everyone's saying, Oh, here we go. Like yeah. And
0: I gotta I gotta admit when he got up, I was like, I'm just gonna start playing on my phone because I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to invest in a company like yeah. this um, but I, I got very interested um, they own the land it's not a managed investment scheme um, mm-hmm. which is very different um, they've got uh, they're actually well on their way they, they've actually got harvestable material right now there's a, there's a thematic out there where there's rising demand for wood chip um, but there's very limited supply. And the supply response, so if you know the demand for coal or oil goes up drastically, the supply response is really quick. With timber, it's really slow because you know it takes, I think you mentioned 12 to 15 years minimum to sort of get a lot of these plantations to maturity. Um, also, a lot of that timber, I think all of the timber, correct me if I'm wrong that, but I think all of the timber was pre-sold too on volume. Yeah not on price, um, which is great. So even if you assume at current prices, um, and there's no increase in price, he was sort of saying um, they will be earning about 20 to $30 million per year in cash. Which is really nice. Um, that's about three years out before they do that, which is about five times. That means they're currently trading on about five times that at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I guess a few things to keep in mind. Um, there's a wharf development that's needed to get this timber off the island. So a big <laughs> bottleneck. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they have to get environmental approval for that. Still waiting for that to come down. Um, they they seem optimistic about it and have good seem to be good reasons to be, but it is yeah. a, it is it's
0: not a guaranteed thirty million in a few years time by any means. What was interesting about that was that he sort of. Uh, um, it might have been him or Tony was sort of saying, look at 95. It, the market's sort of looking at it as a 50 50 proposition, but they were sort of saying the, the, the stage is headed, it's probably very, very likely. But what was interesting, assume it doesn't, right? The trees just continue to grow in the meantime. There's a second wharf site. There are other options, so it delays things. The market's not gonna react well to it, but it's not like the whole thing is a bust after that. So look, um, at a good discount to the net tangible assets, and by the way, when they're calculating NTA, just to get a little geeky here for a second, they're using a very, very conservative discount rate um, 12% versus about 6% that what typically typically yeah. gets used in the industry so the and directors own I think 10 to 15% yeah. of the
1: company honestly listening to it it was kind of annoying for me because I was hoping <laughs> it's like not in my wheelhouse to invest in a timber company no. but I was actually getting interested so yeah. i like, oh, do I have to go like re- research this whole new thing like I have to learn about timber now um, but no <laughs> it, was, it was cool uh, the other point that I thought was interesting he talked about how in other parts of the world a lot of big funds will have like 4 to 8% of their investments in timber um, like think superannuation um, funds so it could be something that develops over time in Australia it seems to align well with what um, a fund's doing thinking very long term yeah. So yeah yeah
0: one wild, quick thing too he, he made the point at the start too he's like we like, re- think about resource companies and most of the, the problems issues that they face is well unlike most resource companies our resources grow over time and then they renew as well so that doesn't happen with a coal mine it doesn't renew itself plus they know exactly the amount of resources that they've got there's not a geological uh, estimation that's involved as well so it was. Kind Kind of, it was a, one of the more surprising presentations. Locality planning was next on the agenda. And uh, the ASX ticker here is LPE. Founder-led business involved in um, uh, electricity supply. So they're a, they're a utility, essentially. Um, but they operate in this niche area of residential strata. And so the value... By the way, they're not generators. Of course, they buy it off the national energy market, a bit of solar. Um, but basically, they offer their customers a bit of a discount by bundling all of these units together, giving them a bit of a better price, They don't take any pricing risk because they just apply a margin to what what they're paying. So the value proposition is it's a very good experience. You get a really good price. They tend to have very loyal customers. Their customers tend to be the ones that um, uh, promote them the most. They've had really great um, customer growth. I'll direct listeners to some of their slide decks. 30% growth in customers in just the current year. Revenue up 53% in the most recent half. Still loss making. it is a capital-intensive business. Um, they did get a bunch of funding or a funding facility from BlackRock, which should help them uh, continue to grow. I don't know what to think about this one. What do you think about this one? Um,
1: I it didn't didn't grab me. It's not like not my normal wheelhouse. So I didn't take too many notes. Um, I'd be interested to hear like what you think is capital intensive. Is is there like equipment that they need to do? Or the, was he, there was yeah.
0: a big part of the presentation he was talking about installing solar panels ah, uh, yes, on, yeah, on yeah, roofs course, and yeah. that kind of stuff. So it's um, those those I think lo- people feel very good about that kind of stuff as well. And it's not something that's easy to do if you're in a in a residential block to sort of get the strata to agree on that and set mm. it all up. They kind of come in and solve that problem. Um, but yeah, it is—it is a bit of capital intensive.
1: Yeah, so for me, it's—it's it's not an industry I like to go into where you're in a reseller relationship. They can do really well, so like, there's plenty of people that will invest in them. But uh, there's also often a, a crash risk where the person you're reselling um, just says no or chooses to exercise their power, which can never happen. Sometimes it can happen. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, I just kind of avoid that sector. But there yeah. is a lot
0: of inertia in that. Like, no one yeah. likes to think about their electricity. Who cares? You know what? Well, I couldn't even tell you. He said made the point. You know, name name your electricity provider. I was like, actually, I'm not even sure who mine is so there is a lot of inertia in there having said that i i tried to convince myself of the benefits of another company in this space called erm power i'll just say it didn't work out well for me. <laughs> and um you know so it is it is a very very tough space let's move on
1: yeah let's move on so the next company i believe was uh, xref took it was xf1 uh, very interesting company so provides um, a software platform which allows easy reference checking for new hires so they uh, yeah, basically provide a very easy way to um, get a list of, of references from a candidate send a send an email out to all of those those references and provide an online form for them to provide a reference so it's really interesting because it is if you've ever done hiring if you've ever, uh, if you've ever gone through that it can be a huge bureaucratic nightmare Pain to, in to, the to deal with is it a all a technical term and there's a lot of biases honestly if you're calling up references to ask them what's going on they like yeah. you know you only get certain people on the phone and then they might want to say something nice whereas i think there's something to be said for like a more neutral way of collecting it all and analyzing it and you can have a whole lot of fields and make sure they get ticked every time, which you might forget if you're on a conversation. And
0: you can cross, when again, this is a company that there's a, there's a positive flywheel effect of the more data that they have, the more sort of nodes in the network, the more you can cross-reference a lot of data as well. Plus they plug in with, working with children checks and police checks and all mm. this other kind of stuff which is nice
1: yeah so a lot of good stuff um it's just kind of floating around of break even but it has been it isn't that isn't new so i guess um it was interesting in, in the questions ceo kind of pointed out like what are some of the risks he talked about how um I, I guess the the journey to being a public company where i think in the past some of the expectations got ahead of themselves and the share price yeah. has been fairly kind of ch- treating water for a couple of years uh, interesting stuff for me is if they're talking about a new way of selling to customers which is more kind of programmatic and and self-serve which is always really interesting to me it's something I like to look that at that was so.
0: amazing what was he talking about the sales cycle was what
1: uh, so it was, I think it had previously been I want to say 90 days I think I had it somewhere yeah, um, and sounds he got about it, right. yeah about 90 days he got it down to 33 days now but then they're talking about getting it down to effectively a day where you just say you hear about them you go. And sign up and start making some use of it and that's there's it's different levels like getting levels. a zero subscription yeah, if exactly. you're a small business that yeah. kind of there's thing. different levels so the, the one day one would be someone literally just trialing and spending maybe five dollars out of yeah. that but yeah. then the bigger then there might be an opportunity to upsell so that's like that's very interesting to me it's not cheap but like unfortunately like most things at the at the conference, everything is on big multiples of sales now. Yeah. Um, thinking back a few years, it was multiples of earnings. We were—I remember you and I t- earnings, going to, you know, going you know, to a earnings. microcap conference and talking about like, "Oh, it's on 25 times earnings." I don't know about this oh, one. what you'd give these <laughs> days, right? <laughs> uh, which isn't the case anymore. But yeah,
0: interesting company and one I'll be looking into. I agree. More. Very interesting. Very slick presentation. Uh, yeah. I should say he was—he was one of the more animated, more professional kind of presenters there. I don't know if that's actually a yeah. Thing. It's, it's a 50/50 for me as well. Do you know, yeah, it's yeah. like the more slick the presentation, sometimes. I'm a little bit more concerned. But look, a lot of the I'll just agree with everything that you kind of said there. Um, again, a lot of the things you like to see 94% retention, very good. Really interesting in their business models, they receive the cash up front. So they, they sell credits mm. um, to their, their customer, and the customer then uses the credits after the fact. So you get to keep all the cash up front, which is a really, really nice. Um, it's model a cool idea
1: well. for, for hacking growth to kind of fund yourself, which is cool.
0: And then once the customer's got those credits, you know, it's like casino chips. It doesn't really feel like you're spending money, I suppose. So maybe there's, there's something in that. Um, yeah, price to sales on my numbers. I did this on the back of the napkin while I was there, but I think it was about 16 or so. Um, and But you know, no debt, $11 million cash in the bank, growing very fast, revenue doubled in the last half. Definitely one I'm going to take a closer look at. Yeah, the next company was Kelly Partners. The ASX ticker is KPG. Uh, this is another one that's straight off the bat, not interested. Pull the phone out, start playing Clash of Clans. You know, I just I, I'm just going to go to sleep for the next little uh, while. But it did Poor surprise Poor accountants, me. man. So the business is an, is an is a roll up of accounting practices of of SME small to medium enterprise accounting practices, like not only is <laughs> ho harm as a business but it's also we know what we know the association around roll up companies yeah, so it's like double boring boring square. Bo- bo- boring and like <laughs> red flag kind yeah. of s- is what i would say having said that the um i, don't, I apologize i Brett, Brett Kelly Brett Kelly it? yes um the founder uh, founded in 2006 listed in 2017 it is sydney focused 15 locations around sydney um 20 acquisitions I think or so that they will have by the end of this year since since inception. Half of the growth has been acquired and half of the growth has been organic. So a lot of these models, the, the value prop is, hey, come into our network. We're gonna run it like a proper business. You're gonna be able to outsource all the boring stuff that you don't wanna have to do. We will take care of that. We're gonna give you half of the equity so you've still got skin in the game. There is a huge cohort. There is thousands and thousands of these small to medium enterprise accounting practices. With basically, when that when that person retires, that's it, right? It's, it's not a business that's easy to sell because it's such a it's a services relationship yeah. based one. So this gives them an exit. It gives them takes a lot of the annoyance out of out of their and exit where
1: they often keep working right. So they might sell and achieve a lot, and then they'll, they'll stick with it. Um, as, as as Brett Kelly pointed out, these are creatures of habit. Um, someone asked, you know, what's to stop them going and doing that and then starting up again? And what do you say? There's there's carrot people and stick people, <laughs> and I think as far as accountants <laughs> are stick people, and that they're moving away from pain and yes. the hassle of dealing with us versus someone who's chasing the carrots of like being greedy and wanting to go out and maximize so it's an interesting point and yeah yeah
0: and i guess so he got some interesting questions at the end he like he was an accountant right he fired back a whole bunch of numbers and talking about recent act was like wow this guy has really got his head around the model so i am i am very cautious of roll-ups but there is one thing to, that i think is interesting about um roll-ups is that even if they fail, they tend to work very well in the early stages. So this is 15 odd, 20, let's call it 20 odd practices just in the Sydney region. So if we say this thing ultimately doesn't work, it's only gonna, like, let's say they do 10 acquisitions next year and they've got a good record so far of integrating and doing that rather well, that is gonna significantly move the dial. And he said himself, look, we're targeting 5% growth in operating profit per year. We think we'll easily beat that. But even on those numbers, again, my back of the napkin kind of calculation made it seem like quite compelling. So. It- well outside of my style box, but it's something that I I was surprised about that surprised that I was interested at all.
1: Yeah, it's tricky because they work well in the early stages, but we only know the early stages because we relate it to when they crash. So yes, kind of like, yeah, true. Like walking a tightrope, work well in those early stages until he fell off. <laughs> until he, he fell. So like, it's yeah, not it's a hard to know. Is what it's saying. hard to know exactly like where the end point is for them. But yeah, at a certain point, it starts becoming very hard. I don't think I think to Andrew's point, they are still very early in the potential size of the market. They're not hitting any limits there so and another
0: thing just to watch um is that these and he was he was at pains to point this out this is very very lumpy revenue Uh, i won't get into the accounting reasons for it work in progress and the rest of it but it's not something you should expect as a nice consistent growth in earnings it's going to be great one half not so great the next and that's just the nature of the business
1: So next up was uh, EnviroSuite. I don't know if anyone's heard of this one. Andrew definitely doesn't know what this is. EnviroSuite! EVS. Um, Yeah, so I I don't think we need to talk through this one too much. Whoa, whoa, (laughs) man. Let's let's not be too hasty. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting company. (laughs) Interesting company. I think
0: you're right, dude. I I think our listeners have heard it it to death. There's multiple episodes on it uh, on the series. Go back and check it out. Peter didn't have any new information to disclose there but it seems to me as though they're just getting it done i think i mentioned last time we talked about it as much as i've sort of been an advocate for it it's 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 far harder to uh, from an investment point of view from business point of view things are as good as they've ever been but from an investment point of view it's 17 odd cents or something the value prop is very very different than what, what, what it was at eight cents so I'm, I'm more cautious and I should say just for full disclosure I did sell about a quarter of my holdings a week or two ago
1: yeah I think he was right before lunch so it was like a tough time for me to focus as well always tough. yeah so cool good interesting one to keep an eye on
0: Uh, Yeah, the next one, ocean grown abalone, ASX code OGA. These guys are aquaculture. They grow abalone, as the name suggests. Um, In the ocean. In the ocean. (laughs) They were just important. uh, Where they grow. Um, Yeah. So, uh, look, you know, the the investment case here is one of they sell pretty much all of it to Asia, pretty much to China. Very big growing market. They have a very big appetite for not just abalone. Have you had
1: abalone? Have
0: you eaten I'm not, abalone? not a fan. I love it. Do you? Yeah.
1: But you have to get the right stuff. So uh, uh, in New Zealand it's called power. And okay. there's two ways people have had it. One is like grinding it up and to make fritters out of it, which can be good, but can be very chewy. So
0: if it's very heavily deep fried, I could probably handle it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or if they're very young, which is now illegal in New Zealand <laughs> okay, um, because of the fishery stuff. Uh, they can be delicious and soft
0: and I think that this is kind of what they're
1: targeting is ah. for like people to eat it and it's like seen as like a luxury in,
0: in China so yeah and, and the brand here is, is brand Australia well, we know that through vitamins and through milk and all of mm-hmm. the well you know very well covered kind of stuff so they have laid what do you say three kilometres of these on, on, maybe on 20 I huge. sorry yeah 20 was huge. kilometers. was absolutely yeah, it's phenomenal um, um, yeah bed, so it
1: sounds like it just started him chucking down these concrete things he used to go out collecting them uh, in the ocean and then realize, hey why don't we put down a habitat in this perfect area put down some concrete blocks started working now yeah. they've just done this on scale so it like, seems actually like quite a cool story he seemed like a guy who was very into it raised, and had done it all himself Raised yeah. some
0: money they've now got a big processing plant there so they're trying to move into this vertical integration you know it's i think he said something about look 17 dollars a kilo um, cost for them for, mm-hmm. for every kilo of abalone they get and they sell that for 40 kilos as well 40 dollars uh, a kilo it? 40 bucks a kilo um so it's, you know it's not not a bad margin but look, you know aquaculture. Uh, there, there are huge risks there. There is disease. There's poaching. There's all, all, all yeah. other kinds of things. Um, they are,
1: I guess, one distinction. They are doing almost all their business currently in the ocean. Yes. So that, that maybe reduces some of the problems with typical aquaculture. Yeah. But they are. That's a new expansion. Is planning to do onshore um, aquaculture of this, which to me, I mean, it, it's not ocean growing, so it hurts a brand. Which I asked the CEO yes. about. Yeah. He seemed pretty defensive about it because I'm like, how does that does that hurt your brand? He said no because it's brand Australia. It's not ocean-grown brand. Right, maybe a bit of a he's, halo from the, yeah, the other stuff. That's he's they probably do. right, but um, it's not the same kind of thing that they've been doing. Yeah,
0: and yeah. So it, it was interesting enough. Um, the wild catch out in, in the wild um, is is falling. Um, there's a little bit of a black market out there, as you sort of hinted at before. But that's like really on the fringes. It's not really affecting global supply demand kind of stuff. Uh, again, outside of my style box, I may or may not take a closer look at it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I guess it's harder to get excited than a, a software company that's grown all over the world. Um, but it seemed like if that's kind of something that interests you, it, it seemed like an interesting story. And he seemed super
0: passionate. Uh, I'm very committed. jealous of his um, office, though. Like, yeah. he's just, like, just going he's, out on the boat. Yeah, they're yeah. Um, they're off the coast of WA. It's just absolutely beautiful water. It, just, it sounded like a really, really great lifestyle. And, and 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 the CEO is really passionate and believer in what they do. So yeah, full. I, I, I wish them the best of luck.
1: So, next up was uh, AU Make, a, a Daigo a retailer, so selling to Daegu, um and the ticker code for that
0: was. Yeah, I think it was AU eight. AU eight, interesting Lucky choice. eight. Lucky number yeah, eight. Very auspicious number for the Which, Chinese. Yeah. So there's no no uh, coincidence. <laughs> I think that there is an eight in the ticker.
1: <clears throat> there's a yeah. Anyway, there's too there's probably too many eights and tickers um, these days. But this one, I guess, makes sense. At least it's focused on Daigo and, and China. So the idea is, they have these retail shops, um, the Chinese Daigo. So Daigo, uh, there's hundreds of thousands of them in Australia, yep. who, who are people, uh, Chinese who live in Australia and send stuff back to China and sell it through often through WeChat, a mobile messaging app. It's a phenomenal um, it's cottage a, industry. Yeah, it's a huge Students. multi-billion dollar yeah. cottage industry. Um, it's been responsible for the rise of brands like Bellamy's and A2 Milk. A lot of their sales, they kind of drove the brand into China and A2's now Black trying Mors to Swiss. directly yep. expand. But yep. yeah, so their AU Make is trying to create be the retailer of choice for these Daigus so they don't have to go into they go to au make and they you know i guess they have a lot of stuff in in chinese they offer a shipping service direct out of the store um, they really just make it easy to make they? it easy yeah. yeah to me i was pretty skeptical of this one so yep. um they the multiples and the, you know the business is still loss making i kind of think um for the the model that they're doing i'd Prefer to see profit at a store level. Like there's no, to me, not a huge reason there should be big overheads for this. Um, they're talking about getting into profitability, but although their mature
0: existing store network was very profitable, I, well, think, that, I think he yeah. made that point. I haven't the, checked, on I it, think, but I think that's the point he made.
1: Yeah, I think there was uh, there was some there was a lot of talk in the presentation about like gross profit versus netting, but I'd have to I'd have to go back through. But Dig a big it. lot of a big lot of costs that they're managing. Um, I guess. Yeah, for me, the other, the other kind of bigger question is um, just how sustainable this is, how much growth there is, whether, whether Daegu really prefer to use them versus over others. Um, some of the advantages they talked about was that they're the best at bringing in new stuff, so whatever the new hot thing is for yeah. Daegu. Um, so it's an interesting one. Um, for me, I was a bit cautious um, of the whole kind of model, I guess.
0: As an investor, I'm not afraid to admit my vast and almost unending uh, limitations. And I kind of put it in this basket. I, I like as a conceptual thing, it seems I mean, capitalism is built around, you know, servicing the demand of, of consumers. So there was this massive market inefficiency where there was a huge demand for stuff in China that just was not being delivered direct from the companies. And so the goose sprung up, very entrepreneurial, and solved that problem. I, I just, when I look out five or 10 years, I mean, is that, we, we, when you hear Blackmore's talk, when, when you hear A2 talk, they're all going direct. So I, to me, I th- there's probably a very good reason and there are very big cultural differences and, and there are a huge regulatory problem. I get all of that, but just at, at, a, at a large scale, I really struggle to understand how this inefficiency is going to pers- persist for so long. Uh, he talked also about, you know, how, um, these very entrepreneur or very smart DaIgu have got this WeChat platform that they can compare prices, and yet he's talking about their margins being so much better than everywhere yeah. else. Well, if everyone's comparing prices, and how, how long, are you how able do, to how charge? How does that last? I, yeah. I, don't get, I don't get that. Yeah. There's probably good reasons, um, but for me, it's it's just something that's it's too hard basket. Yeah. Next one was TrueScreen. Um, this was an interesting one as well. Let me get the ticket code.
1: Yeah, so the ticker is TRU, but they're listed on the New Zealand Exchange, which is the NZX, which is um, where all (laughs) the best companies I think came (laughs) from, Xero, like a lot of great companies. Before they kind of dilute themselves into Australia, <laughs> I'm not they yeah. slow down a bit and they come to Australia. They stop growing, so forth. Yeah. No, but yeah. So anyway, listed on the NZX, which is interesting, and was my first big question. Like um, and yeah. yeah, it seemed to me that they had some original investors, with some um, wealthy private investors based in New Zealand. Yeah. So that was part of the promise. Push Bay so started yeah. that way, didn't it? Uh, Push Bay was started, but they also have the office in New Zealand. So the right. difference here is True Screens is an entirely Australian company, just listed in New Zealand, which is quite where unusual. Where the backers were. Okay. Yeah.
0: they are intending to list on the. ASX later this yes, year, though. but
1: let's get into what they do. So, yeah, give us a rundown. Well, they,
0: they do, uh, they've got a little uh, medical device which scans, detects uh, cervical cancer, and it's really aimed at developing markets. So, um, it, it's a razor and blade model. You buy the unit. Uh, but you get you have these disposable probes that are used in, in the procedure. It's about twenty five dollars Australian for each procedure. It's very, very cost effective. So China is their biggest market, but there's, you know, there's East Africa, there's South America, there's India. There's absolutely phenomenal market and there's a very big need. A lot of people will kind of think of, well what about Gardasil, which is the uh, vaccine for cervical cancer. Um, that only covers 70% of them, and frankly, in these other parts of the world, that vaccine isn't around. So there's going to be this is going to be around for a long time. It's a huge it's a huge uh, problem. They seem to have a really great solution for it.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one for me. It's very I have to make up my mind on just the business model. So they're targeting emerging markets because they don't have a good existing cervical um, screening program. But they also need funding for their devices to be sold. So there's the idea is that it's much cheaper to roll out their devices than have a full screening program and all the lab testing costs that goes with that. However, you know, you still need to have the governments there care enough and have funding enough to to provide access for this device in the first place. So that's a uh, that's um they, they answered that question. You know, it's one of the, one of the early things that came up. They kind of talked about it as being advantageous compared to other screening programs, but it is something to keep in mind. I
0: think. Yeah, you know, look, the sales have been growing very strong. Big, big addressable market. Sales going very strong. You can feel good about what they do. At the same time, you know, not yet profitable. Um, It seems to me as they're almost certainly going to need to raise at some point again in the future. Working in developing markets are huge, and you see the occasional company talk about, "Oh, if only we, you know, you know, sell this to, you know, if every person in China bought this, how rich would we be?" But they're very, very difficult markets. There's a lot of corruption I suppose yeah. and this
1: is uh, only seven employees this business so it's currently got about $2 million in revenue, but um, still very small. They've outsourced a lot of that, I think, so there's not, you know, there's people working for them that aren't, um, obviously, it's not just seven people making the device in the sh- yeah. backyard shed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, so it's interesting. In some ways, I like that it's going to be very light, the business itself. It's focusing on the IP, yep. but it is It is still very small. And so it, it's it very, is, like, It is pretty small. Can, it yeah.
0: is pretty speculative. It is loss-making. I really, really wish them the best of luck because they are doing great stuff out there. I might pop it on a watch, watch list and come back in another six, 12 months, see how they're progressing um there is a, there was more than a few little parallels i did notice with nanasonic which is also the razor and blade model which made my ears pick up but um a little early stage for me anyway um
1: so the last one is at alter took a code 1ad um this is the last company to present but um yeah honestly it was pretty far outside my wheelhouse and i tend to just not look at companies where I know that there's no chance that I'm going to be investing so I don't have too many good notes on this one Um, I took a few notes
0: Um, I've got a bit of a background in biology and science. So I was kind of interested from that kind of standpoint. Yeah, you're a
1: microbiologist, right?
0: Well, there's a degree that says that's true, <laughs> but I've, I've never actually worked in the field and it's probably moved on so far now as to be a joke with, with my qualifications. But anyway, there's a, a drug development company, but from an investor standpoint, I can tell you that's an instant turnoff. Um, again, lots of great stuff is done in this space, a very necessary part, does wonders, for us as a society, but it is where shareholder capital goes to die. Um, it is it is like a mining company in a lot of ways, and we've talked about some of our uh, reasons why we don't like this. They're working on a drug that's for fibrosis. Um, again, won't get into the detail for that, but they've got an early stage candidate or a few candidate drugs there. What was interesting about this, I thought their business model was interesting, is because rather than sort of develop the drug work out the manufacturing, and then pass through all the various phase one, phase two, phase three, and get, and get to market. They are looking just to get it to phase one, and then sell it to the big biotechs, which is really interesting, because mm. you know there's plenty of stuff that goes right through most checks and then dies at the 11th hour. And so they obviously, if it ended up working, they'd probably miss out on a lot, but they get the money in their hand now. It's bird in the hand versus two in the bush. So I, I you know, um, Sam Cobb, the CEO, she, she gave a great presentation. She's been working with this to try and commercialise it for a long time. Really smart person. Really trying to do good things. Just hyper 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 risky. They've got more than one in the pipeline, but I think there's really one that they're sort of uh, resting with, with the, most of their hopes are on in the in the short term. So this is this is the kind of investment that if it works at the current price, you will make 20 bags, you know, 50 bags, 100 bags. It'll be insanely good returns. But it might be that it's a 95% chance that it doesn't get there, mm. in which case the losses could be quite significant. Yeah,
1: I think you summed it up well with a percentage. And one, someone in the audience asked, um, what would make you, this drug be more successful than the statistical average? Which I think is just such a good way to think about these things. Like, if you're investing in this space, I think you should have a handle on what is the average, statistical average chance that any drug gets through. And do I think, there is there any particular unique attributes that will make this one more likely than others? Um, And the CEO gave some reasonable sounding to me reasons. It's not my space. Um, And the other one is just like you don't have to invest in everything I don't even look at biotech because it's too too much above um, my kind of skill set and well, a CSL
0: yeah. might if I could interrupt yeah. might be different for you because yeah. that is an established one with a bunch of patents and known products you know that, that is very very different to a very early stage
1: a hundred percent so I think like the way I think about it is um, is it possible for me to get my circle of competence up enough to understand this yeah. and emerging biotechs, it's no one understands it because it's literally like new knowledge i thought about this a lot like it's, it's something that's even that in the scientific no, community yeah. like, it's so everything it's is so specialized yeah. now
0: that even there'll be, there'll be specialists in the drug development industry who have no idea about yeah. you know fibrosis and The effectiveness of this yeah
1: and even like in the industry no one knows because it's going through a trial like this is on the cutting edge so and but then to your point whereas others like csl are very big you can value them on cash flows and have a little bit of a you know valuation might be down to some of these newer things but yeah you've got to handicap the odds good to have a way to do that and not for me
0: i I think it's one thing just as before we end on at alter and you know it, it is something that is always going to be appealing to a certain segment of investors because it is so sexy the market is so huge and when you when you have a massive informational disadvantage because unless you are an expert in fibrosis and drug develop, you know you've got three phds in in you know genetics and and biotechnology it's not going to make you you there's no way for you to validate if we're talking baby formula i i can i can get close to baby yeah. formula i can and out i mean some bi- baby
1: formula is almost a medical miracle like <laughs> a2 milk right <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're trying to trigger me now
0: um, but you know what I mean and, so yeah. I, I, and, and I would sort of say as a, an investor who doesn't have specialty in this space just be very, very, very careful, because they all sound fantastic, but yeah. again, the statistics will tell you. Doesn't have to be your
1: capital. It. I'm very happy that people are funding oh, drug fantastic. development. Doesn't have to be my capital, doesn't have to be yours, if you're not up to it.
0: So, man, that was that was a really... Um, wow, we got through a lot. We got through a lot. I feel like it was lot. good. Yeah, we did. Um, so, look, I hope you found that valuable. Um, again, thanks, Mark Tobin, for uh, putting on such a great event. Wish you best of luck with that and Coffee Microcaps. Um, I'll link to a bunch of useful stuff uh, in the show notes. If you want to. If you want to um, chase any of this up, um, but Matt, we are Easter is upon us, yes, and we are going to take a little bit of a break. Yep. So I'm um, heading back
1: to New Zealand next week, and you're heading somewhere, and we're yeah, to Hamilton yeah. Island. Very actually. nice, very yeah. nice. So
0: yep. we're, we're going to take a bit of a break. We thought of how we could do this remotely. It was just all a little bit too hard, but yep. we will be back at some point in the near future, and uh, we can't wait to uh, to have you yep. join us at that point. Yep. Look forward to look forward to talking to you in a few weeks. That's it for now. Talk to you soon. Thanks.